The car you drive every day should be fun. But it has to do the boring stuff too, like commute, be affordable, and haul your groceries. You can have both, and we'll help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Today. Welcome back, everyone. We are always striving for fresh, interesting, creative new content to fill your ears as you're driving or as you're standing or sitting or traveling, wherever you're at. On the we are back. Yeah. Bored in the airport security line. Hey, We're here for you. That's exactly. what we tried for. Yep. Yep. We have got uh, a podcast that is no different. As a matter of fact, it's a bit unique. Even though we do have two car debates, we've got a funny story to share with you. But I want to mm-hmm. talk to you about these debates first before we get there. The first one is from Andrew. He is in downtown Dallas, Texas, and he writes yep. to us recently. His commuting is actually a pair of walking shoes. He walks to work. Yep, that's and pretty cool. It, it is cool. And he's got a Corvette, a C6 Corvette, 2007, that he's just <laughs> – he's a creative writer. And, Andrew, there's some funny stuff in here, which I really enjoyed. Definitely, yeah, yeah. He's writing to us because I think he, he's seeing some writing on the wall about possibly moving on from the Corvette. He's had it so yeah. long that he's kind of thinking it might he's be He's realizing that the time is coming. Yes, agreed, agreed. I look forward to talking about that one for sure. Yeah, it's going to be cool because he's actually – he's got a decent budget and he's got a, a, a lot of ideas for different places to go. That will be fun to talk about. Oh, yeah, and your, your little side comments in here, Andrew. Clearly, you're listening to the podcast. You've listened to a lot <laughs> of them, and he's referencing other episodes that we've done. Really hilarious. Yeah, yeah, Just yeah. a fantastic read well, here. Well, what's funny is in the, well, I'll get there in a minute, but yeah, you're right. There's all course, types of references to other people that we've recommended to yeah. some of who you actually know, which is kind of cool. So, all right, shout out to, to crazy things going on in Dallas. Apparently, we have a bigger uh, audience there than we realized. I have a list of three, six, seven, eight cars, maybe more for you. Oh, Andrew. frightening! Okay, all I right. cannot well, wait I to share these. <laughs> I didn't go that far, but wow, we'll get there. Okay, just all You've those ideas got, sparked so... mine. It was great. <laughs> There you go. We've also got Ryan writing to us from L.A., and he is wanting a full-on project truck. And my first initial question is, um, you know what we do here, right? <laughs> project <laughs> trucks is not really our thing. But project we're going to talk about com. it anyway. Everyday Project so, Trucks. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So uh, maybe we need to start that offshoot. So Ryan has asked that question, and we are going to tackle it as best we can. Of course, Facebook questions coming up as well. Uh, And we have to mention it. Guess what? We're a couple weeks out from our pilgrimage trip to Germany and Belgium. I know we're beating it to death, but mainly because it's on our brain, and we're excited. And actually, thank you to the many of you who have said you couldn't go this year for various reasons, are hoping we do it next year. We are hoping and planning for the same. So more info to come on that. But I have to acknowledge that Friday, September 30th, we've been talking about it. If you're a German listener and want to join us, we're going to go somewhere and grab some dinner. Uh, last week, uh, actually, yeah, last week Paul brought up uh, Klassikstad, which I'm sure we're pronouncing wrong. Uh, that was we mentioned to us are. by, yeah, exactly, mentioned That's to us right. by one of our listeners, and uh, and we are seriously thinking about doing the meetup there. And meanwhile, Akim, who's been listening to us forever, thank you for writing because it was your idea to do this meetup. You've said you're coming. So somebody's coming. So there you go. There you go. He, he's even going to bring some friends. So, um, yeah, if you're in the Germany area, if you're in – well, I should clarify. Germany is not a small country. It's not like I'm saying, hey, if you're in Rhode Island. No, uh, if, <laughs> if, you're in, if you're in and around Frankfurt on that on night on September 30th. Continent. Maybe. Exactly. Drive on over. Come on. 
on. Come on it's over. small. Come on now. I know my geography. It's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. But if it's close enough, you'd like to come join us. We'd love to see you. So we are going to continue to mention that until we have that uh, meeting. And it is, we're kind of honing in on that place, too, which is kind of cool. Yeah, this is cool. And one more thing, item of note, before we move on to the funny story. That is, we've only got one podcast this week, as you are probably imagining, oh, yes. due to some travel. So it's just this podcast for the week, but we will be back in the subsequent weeks. And then we're going to do some fun stuff. We're going to be talking to the guys on the pilgrimage trip. Surprise. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're going to include Talk to the people them. that are going on the trip. We want to get their live reactions is why. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. share that well, with you, with you listening. Yeah, we're hoping it's going to be kind of like the Chicago track day thing was, but obviously not in Chicago for those people following along at home. Uh, And then actually when we get back, we've got a few guests lined up for the last quarter of the year. We want to get a few guests on the podcast as well. So we aren't aren't sitting still much, except, of course, I guess when we do the podcast. Anyway, that that kind of failed. But we should move on to a ridiculously (laughs) funny story that one of you wrote to us. In fact, one of our patrons, uh, Mark, wrote to us and was actually wrote to us about a couple of things. But Mark... You are you are my new favorite listener, at least for this podcast. <laughs> and I, I want I want Paul to tell the story because I keep laughing every time I think about it. That's this so is an funny. awesome podcast related story. We just got this email in our inbox just prior to recording, as a matter of fact, and we're both reading it and saying, "Yes, we have to share this with everybody." Mark, I hope you're okay Absolutely. with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the title of his Whoops, email. Surprise. <laughs> the title here is "Apologizing if Necessary." So we think, okay, click on the email. And he says he's very sorry for being distracting on the Hangout call. And those of you who are patrons at the highest level, we do a monthly Hangout call just to talk about what's next and share some inside information. And it's just a way to connect with our highest level paid patron members. Which is cool. Which Which is great. And it's a lot of fun. And a lot of people join as they can, which is fine, which is nice. So here he was trying to connect at work. And things were – he was getting hung up on and and – Tech was overruling his abilities, apparently, and uh, mm-hmm. we couldn't hear him for a while, and it was just fine. We, we were hoping we could get a hold of you. And uh, he said, you know, first time on the Google Hangouts, but apparently his 97-year-old grandmother could handle the tech better than he. So no worries, no worries. We hey, got next time. It. And, it, and it wasn't disruptive. But but what's funny is you've talked about how much you like the podcast mm-hmm. and how much you listen to the podcast because you drive a lot. And then <laughs> you're in Colorado, and you were driving down a canyon outside Grand Junction, Colorado, merrily listening to the podcast and apparently driving quickly because you got pulled over. <laughs> apparently, Mark got a ticket because the state trooper was not interested in an excuse. Look, I'm listening to the podcast about cars. I'm an enthusiast. I'm a driver here. Can you have a little bit of you know mercy? And apparently not. One thing you did forget to mention here, Mark, is how fast did he get you going here for? I mean, yeah. What was what was that ticket? How expensive an episode of the podcast was that for you, Mark? And then there's that second <laughs> there's that second part of me that goes, should we ask the question of what's the strangest place or strangest thing that's happened while listening to the podcast? And then I'm I think very no. curious. Oh yes, no, bring but, it. But but here's but here's the problem. I think those stories are quickly going to make this a not family friendly podcast. <laughs> that's true. my concern. Oh, true. The speeding we ticket can, thing can... is funny. <laughs> but uh, but I am I am a little alarmed at where some of those answers might come from because we might end up with people just trying to create creative moments, listen to the podcast. But listening while getting a speeding ticket is my new favorite mark. So thank you for sharing. That is funny. I'll say you know if you do decide to write to us, use discretion. Be cool. Be cool about it. And then <laughs> it'll all be cool. All right. So I'm curious. I actually I I was going to suggest how many other people have gotten speeding tickets or pulled over while listening to the podcast. <laughs> is Mark the first? Hey, I'm officer. Wondering. Do you like cars? 
<laughs> you might like this. If you listen to podcasts, that that's the new crazy thing to get shared. That's ridiculous but funny. You know what? Oh, wow. That anyway. made me think of an idea. If anybody listening is a police officer, I'm curious about some stories. Share some stories with us that we could talk about on the air here on the podcast about pulling people over. What's the craziest excuse people have given to you about trying to get out of a ticket? <laughs> I'd like to hear that. I'm, I'm sure we, we've got some police officers listening somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, and how much of their time do they spend listening to the podcast? I'd li- podcast in general, I'd be curious about that as well. Exactly. But anyway, I mean, it's a great way to fill days in general. I feel like I keep picking up other podcasts I listen to. I'll listen to an episode randomly here and there of all kinds of podcasts, and it is amazing how addictive. I mean, I've liked audiobooks forever, and I still really do, but uh, it's amazing how addictive podcasts can get because you can just expose yourself to so many different types of just interests and thinking and all that kind of stuff. Even if you don't hang on to that podcast, I just find myself picking up random ones and going, oh, I'll listen to that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it happens. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm into the finance and business side of things and and uh, what else? Yeah, there's just so many good ones. And it seems to be the podcast world seems to be expanding like crazy. I mean, definitely. they've yeah, been around for years and years now, but it, they yeah. just still seem to be growing in popularity. And hopefully we're fulfilling a niche and dreams and – yeah, just talking cars. We just get on and just talk cars because it's what we love to do. So thanks for joining us. We've got a bunch of people talking about cars here. Two in particular, as we mentioned, Andrew, and we also got Ryan out in L.A. And Andrew mm-hmm. is the Dallas guy with the Corvette. <laughs> so you got to hear his story. It's hilarious. I have to jump to one thing he said kind of in passing near the bottom, and then I want you to get in his story further. But he makes okay. a comment where he said he got to drive – where is it? It's in here. I swear it is. This is a long email. He, he got to drive a Chevy SS Oh yeah, because his friend Stu is the guy on the podcast who we told, please, please don't buy a Typhoon. So apparently there's a little click of you in Dallas that are listening to the podcast – and uh, <laughs> I just cool. love that you know you know him. You've had the typhoon discussion. Love to have been a fly on the wall while listening to that podcast. But uh, that's very fun. <laughs> so you've got uh, this Corvette that you're realizing. I love it. I thought I'd always have it, but okay, it's got 120,000 miles, and now it's to that. What is that noise era of car ownership, which is yeah. terrible? Where you're driving along and you go, wait, what is that new rattle? Wait, what is that creak? Um, am I going to have to fix that? That's a terrible place to be. So you're going, okay, it may be time to get rid of this car. The hole in your checkbook gets bigger and bigger as you drive. That's never a good thing. It should only happen with track mm. cars, not your daily or not your fun <laughs> car. But it's it's the nature of what we do. It's the hole down which we pour money, as my dad says. Yes, it is. Sailing yes, is, is like standing in a cold shower ripping up $1,000 bills. So I'm wondering, what is car ownership and racing and track time like? <laughs> I, I'm just wondering. Anyway. Frightening. Well, Andrew has swallowed hard and emailed to us here because I think he's seeing the writing on the wall here. He's got Mm -hmm. this Corvette with 120,000 miles that he bought at age 23. So he has done rallies. He actually called out the Dust Ball Rally, which I went to the website here and looks really interesting, actually. looks pretty cool. Uh, Mm -hmm. Last year it was in the Pacific Northwest, which uh, I love that area up there in Oregon and Washington. Love that area as well. But uh, the car has started to give him fits and starts and started to really cost him some money here. And uh, he's writing to us to say, should I keep it or should I sell it? And that's really the bottom line here. And he's got the pros and cons list. He's got options about what to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's Not long. Not kidding around. Yep. But it's, it's funny. Yep. It's, it's really engaging. It's a good read here. 
So he's got a fiance. The Corvette is what he taught his now fiance to drive stick shift in. And he's picked up a Miata 1995 NA, so the first generation Miata, mm -hmm. that he's turning into a track car. Again, he listened to our live Chicago show and found Brad. Listen to Brad that was in the room. He was one of the members at mm -hmm. Audubon Country Yeah, he was Club. live there, yeah. And trying to sell his spec Miata that was <laughs> yeah. already all tricked out and ready for the track, yeah. So he's got the track car covered. They are buying his fiance's dad's pickup truck for weekend work and hauling stuff. And now that will probably be the truck with which you haul your track car to the track. So they've got <laughs> both of these areas covered. And the Corvette's mm -hmm. looking them in the eye and going, what are you going to do with me? Now what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here we go. We're diving in with a budget of about 50K, but he knows it's us. He knows it's me. <laughs> So, He's heard. Well, You've heard the podcast, and you know whatever number we give you, we're going uh, to ignore it and we'll go above it. tack on 10 grand yeah. instantly. 50K? Mm -hmm. 60K, you mean. <laughs> <laughs> and, wow. Uh, we, are, we are not a financial uh, uh, recommendation podcast. I want to put that out there right now. We are the, we are the You Shouldn't Have Spent That Amount of Money podcast. You spent how much? hopefully you'll have some fun. Congratulations. Good job. <laughs> Somebody saw you coming. We actually have a friend. I, I wish I was making this up. We actually have a friend named Joel who the running joke with our friend Joel, and I cannot believe I'm going to share this because it actually exists, but he is a guy who kind of likes cars. I mean, he has cars he, he loves, but he kind of likes cars. And somewhere along the way, he kind of fell into Porsches and has, has owned Porsches. And he likes Porsches. D please don't get me wrong. He, he likes his Porsche cars, but he's not a guy that's ever going to go track them. He just enjoys driving them. He's just a normal driver. What's hysterical about this story is that for reasons I genuinely cannot wrap my brain around, he has a habit when he takes his car in for service of leaving with a different car. He goes and this in. isn't the loaner either. For, this isn't the dealer no, no, loaner. I'm here for an oil change. Oh, you know what? Just keep that car. I'm going to buy this new one. He's done this multiple times to the point that when we see this, this poor man, uh, we, we, we always ask him what he's driving because it is that common for him to go in and instead of just getting the car serviced, just get a different Porsche and leave. Well, I, I Wow. I mean, he, yeah, he had a, uh, what, 2014 or 2015 911 Carrera 4S that had a rock puncture in the front radiator, <laughs> which is an expensive repair. And he took it, it in to get fixed, and he eyeballed the showroom and kind of went, what's that over there? What do you oh. the showroom over there? And he left with a brand new Macan GTS. Brand new. Money. Yeah, anyway. I Done. mean, it's, hey, you like Porsches and you have the money to do it, so good on you, man. But hey. it just it makes me laugh. So, uh, yeah, so we're, we're, we're going to blow through all of, uh, all of Andrew's money here, uh, which he said might be able to be stretched to 60 Kablam. grand. So we're going to stretch it. Uh. Um, I, what I do like about this, though, so much is the fact that because of that N.A. Miata and because of the pickup, you really, you're, you're focused more now on what is the GT car, the car that I can drive, that it can run, that I can drive, I can enjoy it on a fun drive, or if I wanted to be at a track in it or wanted to do this cross-country rally in it, it will work for that. Uh, but yet it's also just going to be a nice place to be. So it doesn't have to be an extreme vehicle. That's been covered by both the pickup and the Miata, which I really like. The outer edges are covered. Mm -hmm. So we're here in the middle. Yeah. And you, you go through your pros and cons of keeping or selling the Corvette. And I honestly feel like in spite of your pros for keeping the Corvette, I think you yourself have made a better case for getting rid of it. And I'm just going to go there. I'm just going to say yeah. the Corvette should just go. No offense to it. I'm glad you've loved it. But 
I, I think you separate yourself from the nostalgia of what the car has been. Unless, look, if you're a guy who can just keep it and put it somewhere in storage and you've got storage and you've got the money to buy something else, bless you. We'd all like to be that. But I'm assuming you're not. So let's sell the Corvette, get something else. I have some ideas for you. Uh, but I think it is time for a completely different new experience. And I'm, I leaned much more toward GT cars, but I'm curious where you went, Paul. I've got nine. Nine choices here. and Nine? Uh, how yeah. long is this episode going to be? Well, we don't have to break Nine each one cars. down. I'll, I'll mention them, and you'll, you'll get an idea <laughs> okay. here. All I'm, right. I'm spending a lot of time in BMW, even though Andrew does really? say the car must be a manual or <clears throat> PDK. Can you tell where this is going? Yes, uh-huh. we get it, because Andrew has had the pleasure of driving many 911s, and he's driven my car. I mean, not mine, but one like it, the 981 mm-hmm. Cayman GTS I hope you liked it. You didn't add any color around. I drove it. You just said, well, I drove it. I mean, did you like it? I mean, come on. Well, but he said he drove it with PDK, and it made him a believer. I thought that was quite a rousing endorsement, though. That was his first PDK experience, and he walked away going, okay, now I get it. So, I mean, that was definitely the good part of that experience. And so you did, and it sounds like it was part of this rally, because all of these experiences you had in multiple Porsches were up in the Pacific Northwest, which is where that rally went last year. So it connects to that. So it's cool that guys are trading keys on a rally like that. Um, I actually, I stayed mostly away from Porsche. It sounds like you went BMW. I kind of went all over the map, though, because I really want to get Andrew into something that's a completely different ownership experience. I'm, I'm totally with you. I am uh, all over the map as well, but I think you know where we're headed. Andrew, I think it is time to sell the vet, and even though you do say, hmm, the obvious choice is a C7 Corvette loaded up, it's right in your budget, yes, but... I and it would be awesome. It would be it awesome. It would be awesome. I agree. I think both Todd and I are saying to you here, Corvettes, awesome. I think it's time to go taste something else because you can. And mm-hmm. you have you've got this opportunity here. So look at it as not a, man, you know, I'm getting rid of, you know, the old girl. And, well, you, you had a great time, 120,000 miles. Let somebody mm-hmm. else mm-hmm. fix it up and enjoy it. Maybe it's a way for somebody else to get into Corvette ownership, mm. which is great. That's a good point, yeah. I mean, you yeah. want to go, you know, want to, want baby to go to a good home. And you've got this sure. opportunity here to go drive some things, as you're suggesting. I need to drive a GTR, an Evora, ATSV, maybe Camaro, GT350. You name a lot of usual suspects you wanna, here. Yeah, you want to drive the list for sure, yeah. It's an opportunity to go drive these things, and you could come away and say, you know, I love GTRs, or I hate Jaguar F-types, or I, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. It'll really well, start to narrow things down for you because you've lived with the Corvette yeah. for so long, or the Corvette for so long. The Corvette, yeah. I- I'm going to submit this to you, Andrew. And, and Paul and I have talked about this back and forth because we were both very much raised in families where cars just hung out for decades. Oh, they yeah. were just yeah. in our lives, and it's only been because we have the, the the great benefit to be able to actually drive as many cars as we do that we've started to kind of see things differently in our own lives. It took a long time for either one of us to be like, I'm going to sell that and move on. That's been very difficult. It's only been in the recent few years we've gotten to that place. But I'm going to submit this to you, Andrew. We're going to recommend cars to you now that are away from your Corvette. But I'm going to say to you, we're not recommending cars for you to have for the next decade. Mm-hmm. We're going, mm-hmm. you have the money, go get a car. You have it for a year or two and you want to move on, move on. Mm-hmm. We're not going to yeah. suggest cars because this is your car for how, okay. That's the, that is the greatest thing about cars versus something like, let's be honest, your spouse. You can just keep trading cars. That's sure. easy. Sure. You know, just, okay, yeah. I like this, it's great, but I'm going to sell it and move on. So that's what's cool. I have uh, I have five, but 
I want to mention one that you already brought up, and that is the 997-911. So it's not the current Gen 911, the 997-911. So that's 05 to 2012. I'm probably off by a year in either direction there. You actually brought up specifically the 9972 because if you know Porsche nomenclature, they do a .1 and a .2 of each generation. And the .2 is obviously refined. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say either of those, the 1 or the 2. The thing I like about the 997 for you over the Cayman is I'm very much thinking GT and life experience car. Uh, if you told me you were getting an all-in-one, needs to be a track car, etc., I would lean you a little more toward Cayman because obviously we like the Cayman a lot. It is the better, I think, just sheer driver's platform. But the 911 is the icon. It's the icon. Yeah. So, and you can get into, I submit to you, I like the 997 better than the 991. And it's the last of the hydraulic steering 911s. So you can have, you can embrace a little bit without having to go into the crazy expensive air-cooled. You can embrace a little bit of that traditional 911 lineage and steering feel. You can get it at your budget. You can have options at your budget. You can rally that car across the U.S. If you wind up in a situation where to track it, fine. If you just end up commuting in it, Fine. I think if you're going to go Porsche at all, that is my pick for you. I have some others, but I wanted to start there. I like that you did. And, Andrew, I'm going to try to save you from myself, I guess, because (laughs) I agree with you. Good luck. I think at some point you are going to own a Porsche. Some variation, some Porsche is going to be in your life. I agree. But here I am, so deep in the pool and up to my eyeballs in Porsche love Maybe that prevents me from looking around, and you've got this opportunity to own other cars before a Porsche enters your life at some point. Mm, mm. I'm trying to – maybe I'm a foregone conclusion. Maybe I'm contradicting everything you know about me, but I love Porsches. (laughs) Yes, you will have one. But here we go. There's so many good GT cars that we've experienced, and by virtue of the show, as Todd said, we get to go drive these cars and enjoy them a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this – there's these cars made by BMW that are so good. <laughs> okay. And with your price point, I thought you need to take a field trip. It's recess, Andrew. Field trip over to Cincinnati, Ohio to Enthusiast Auto Group. EnthusiastAuto.com. Oh, no. They're not yes. paying us, believe me. Yes. They've got But loads. you love this website. You oh, just love this love website. This website. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, to start with, M3s. Go to the E90 series. M3s for sale. So that's the E90, E93, E92. Loads mm-hmm. of beautiful cars. And I'm looking at a 2013 manual coupe competition package with 7,000 miles on it for 60 mm. grand. This is mm. a new car. It's yeah. Melbourne Red. Yeah, that's I crazy. mean, Dynan and M Performance upgrades, on and on and on. They've got loads of these beautiful E90 series M3s with the gorgeous V8. Talk about a GT car. I mean, that's we've got to start there. So I think go peruse that. Go start looking around. I think you're a candidate for an M5 or an M6. Speaking of GT cars, I even possibly, found you. Possibly. I even found you, Andrew, a 2013 640i Grand Coupe for 54.9. Now you went nuts. You went, went nuts. nuts in the BMW catalog. I did. You really did. I, it's a big opportunity because, like I said, I fell backwards and I love Porsches. I just wonder mm-hmm. if I had been in Andrew's situation, knowing that, yeah, I've driven a bunch of others, you know, friends' cars, knowing yes, that'll enter my life at some point, but I can be patient. I can just go mm-hmm. own something else. Would I have been different if I had discovered BMWs before Porsches? Or I, I don't know. Who, who knows? Hmm. 
but I just kind of went nuts. I mean, yeah, even the new F80 or F82 M3 and M4, wow. You know, I think 60 grand might not cover those cars, but that's why I suggest the E90 series M cars. Man, just, just fantastic. And the cars at Enthusiast Auto Group are the ones you want because they're such fantastic condition, low miles. They look brand new. They are brand new practically, and <laughs> yikes. So go check out BMWs. I mentioned the F-Type from Jaguar. What else? The That's Audi on my S8. list, too. Audi S8 has got to be on your list. It's a different kind of a car, but if you just want baller, GT, high speed. What's well, a big, yeah, it's your big just highway highway chewing car they're fantastic to be in they're decent to drive but that's just a cross-country cruise car that's and a I very know, accurate I mean, description fantastic to be in enjoyable to drive i like that yeah 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 and I, and I don't know that that's the kind of driving experience andrew wants but if you are planning to chew through miles you would <laughs> be hard pressed to do better than an s8 i do agree mm-hmm. with that yes i hear you the alfa romeo julia is coming in a manual mm-hmm. transmission. That is right in your yes, sweet true. spot as well. Yes, true. And I thought of the Lexus RCF, but I, I'm just going to say it's not a candidate to, for you just because, you know, knowing your list here. But I will mm-hmm. finish off with the Lotus Evora S, another car that we love. You need to go drive. We do. We do. It's a fantastic car. It's, uh, I... it's, it's a possible consideration. Lotus of West Covina is uh, a wash in Evora 400s and mm. Exiges. They have zero Lotus Evora S's right now, but I know you can find one for in that 60 range. So you certainly can, you certainly can. Wow, that is a great uh, breadth of huge, list. Uh, you've, huge, huge list. You've, <laughs> well, essentially, Andrew, we're just going to read you all the cars that fit your price point, and you go decide. <laughs> no, uh, I've, I've actually got a few. You touched on a couple of them. I want to add a couple as well. Um, the uh, yeah, the Jaguar F-Type Coupe. I tried to stay, just so you know, Andrew, I tried to stay toward cars that still feel like small-ish driver's cars to me, but I know can saw through highway miles. So I didn't go for any of the bigger uh, the bigger sedans like Paul did, though I can see the merit of those, but I stayed much more two-door, traditional, rear-wheel drive fun. So I have to say Jaguar F-Type. I would say coupe over convertible. The problem is the the convertible for your budget, 50 to 60 grand, all day long you can do it. The coupes haven't dropped there yet. So depending mm-hmm. upon when you're buying, it's like you'll find a coupe in your budget nationwide. So it's probably going to be a little while before the coupes drop down. I Honestly, I've driven the the S. That's the the V6 uh, with a little extra power, but not the big V8 monster. That car's just fun. That is a fantastic, just GT car with really good balance. I remember the back came out at one point on one corner. I was like, wow, that's just really controllable. It's just really well balanced. Very fun car. Recommend that. If you want to go a little more baller, you could get an Aston Martin Vantage for this money. Hmm. Now I know I was Doug Demuro mentioned this car. I was yeah. wondering. Doug Dem- Doug DeMuro, of course, has owned one for a while. I'm sure you can watch his videos where he'll make fun of everything that, that has gone wrong with the car. Uh, you have to brace yourself a little bit for some maintenance there. It could run really well, but uh, there are people that have got horror stories, and, of course, Doug's going to make the most of those. Uh, but uh, you could get a Vantage, and that is an event. Those cars are really, really fun to drive. They're great to be in. And, you know, when we drove one, I remember it was amazing on a back road. Uh, but yet you were aware you were just in a GT car and you could just saw through miles. I think the Vantage should be on there. I already mentioned the 997.2911. If you're going to go Porsche, that is my only car on the list for you right now. Um, 
You said, Andrew, the GT350, and I would say all day long if you can get one for your budget and not get gouged, uh, that is, you know, you've you've owned the Corvette. Why not get the Mustang? I I like the kind of uh, play both sides of the coin scenario there where you can have the different experience. The GT350 is awesome. And if you find yourself on a track, those brakes alone are worth it. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) that's a great one there. And then Paul went through the whole BMW catalog. But you know what? I had a moment where I almost thought I have found your car. I almost went sniper shot on this car, and then I decided I needed a bigger list. It's a BMW Paul didn't mention. With your mm-hmm. budget, all day long, the BMW 1M. Okay. That car is okay. unique, yeah. and they are out there for your budget. I mean, I've got a sheet in front of me right here. For your budget, you can get them at a range of mileage. From I'm talking like the ten, twelve thousand mile range up to you know thirty, forty thousand. People haven't put tons of miles on those. That's a special car, and it would give you not only a unique, different driving experience, but a good BMW experience. And they're not common, so I I think that the one M is a BMW to take a very serious look at. That's good, although not a GT car. I wouldn't put it in that class, but I see you know by your description of going around more compact, kind of more you know less car around you kind of thinking for the gt car rather than a big big heavy cruiser you know and if you found yourself doing a cross-country road trip i'll be honest i love the lotus evora i would rather cross country in the 1m than the lotus evora hmm. so okay. if, if you're okay. gonna end up road tripping like serious and i love the evora I, I have very little bad to say about that car but just if we end up in that kind of scenario let's throw some bags and let's go soft through some miles 1m over evora it's just it's a better package for it hmm. Hmm. Wow. Lots of choices. Uh, okay, Andrew, the ball is in your court. Uh, yes, the <laughs> massive car list. If you've been trying to take notes, I'm sorry, your hand now hurts. Uh, right, so, right. yeah, anyway, it's we've bombarded you with this. There'll be lots of rewinding for which of the 1,500 cars they listed? Is that <laughs> yeah, one? Exactly. Yeah. I've whittled it down to the top 1,000 cars I think Andrew should buy. No. Uh, yeah, the ball's in your court. Hopefully uh, this gives you an opportunity, like I said, to go drive some things. And uh, let us know what you uh, what you come up with. Please. Hello to all of our Dallas listeners, our Dallas friends. Thank you for listening. And and uh, yeah, let us know if we kind of missed out on something for uh, for Andrew. But what an opportunity here! This is this is mm-hmm. pretty cool. So, moving on though to our friend Ryan in Los Angeles, out in LA. This is was also chosen because it was so different, and it's not something mm-hmm. that Todd and I talk about all the time. <laughs> Specifically, open-air four-wheel drives from the 80s. That is well, not necessarily it's, us. It's different enough that you've set us up for failure here. You've set us up for, for next podcast to have to do a correction and be like, here's what we got wrong last time. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of how you set us up. I mean, Ryan is looking for a project truck. Now, clearly, this podcast is actually named the Everyday Driver Project Truck. So, uh, yeah, this is going to be – we're going to do this. We're going to do this well. Awesome. This is going to go very, very well for awesome. us. Well, I thought you could speak to the Wrangler because, you know, you and your wife had a Wrangler for a little while and really loved mm-hmm. it. I did think that you could speak to the fun, and that's what's appealing to Ryan here is the open-air cruising with a four-wheel drive. So he suggests to us – I'm wanting to find a beat-up Wrangler or a Chevy K5 Blazer or a full-size Bronco to start tinkering around with, learn about how to work on cars. It's going to be very inexpensive. We're talking no more than $3,500 on the initial purchase because then you're going to have to start dumping money into you know, whatever that is mm-hmm. next. So 
Yes, we're not super fans of super cheap cars, but from a learning experience, this is, this is going to be a great. Specific, this is a specific plan here. The mm-hmm. reason, and, I, and I, I beat it to death because I think it needs to be repeated. The reason we're not a fan of inexpensive cars is because a lot of times when people are buying you know, 5000 or less, they're buying 5000 less as they cling to that money, and that's all they have on a need a car that's going to be great and run. That's mm-hmm. a dice roll. That's not this scenario. Ryan is just going, this is going to sit somewhere in a garage, and I'm just going to play with it, and I'm going to work on it, and I'm going to try stuff. Well, yeah, you don't want to spend a lot of money to dive into that kind of pool because it's not going to be your transportation every day, and you hope that it's going to run, and you hope you're going to learn how to do kind of everything on it. So that also means it needs to be a little bit older and simpler to learn all that stuff. And, yeah, you're debating these three. I... um, you know, I'm going to go not only a little bit of personal bias, but I'm also going to go with what I see, meaning what's the car that I see around a lot from this era. Hmm, because okay. I haven't broken down a Blazer or a Bronco or a Wrangler. I haven't broken those down and tried to rebuild. I haven't been that guy. Sure. But what are the ones I see around all the time? It's the Wranglers. Yeah. I rarely see the other two. They they exist. I, there's huge communities. I know that you know we're talking about our region, which is the Rockies, and of course there's a lot of Wranglers with every possible bit of customization you can imagine. But those old uh, four cylinder, pardon me, four liter six cylinder engines are pretty bomb proof. Yeah, yeah. And they're not complex, and they were around forever until Chrysler finally killed it for let's be candid, worse engines in the Wrangler. That four liter was in everything. It was all the way up through the one. My, my wife and I had a, a 97, and it was all the way up through, you know, those late 90s Wranglers. Uh, so, you know, lots of parts available. You can do everything you can imagine to a Wrangler. And, you know, there's tons of infrastructure and forums and parts, and that I, I've never heard bad things about that engine, actually. So I'm going to lean Wrangler because I see them all the time and because I know that about that engine. Um, and also, I think it's the slightly smaller package of this group. Oh, So definitely. if you're going to end up definitely. doing a lot of off-roading, I think that's going to become a factor as well. Now, Ryan tells us that he had a Wrangler years ago, and he regrets selling it. So interestingly, I'm with Todd on the Wrangler thing because, yeah, that inline six is nearly bulletproof, even though a lot of Wranglers in this price point have a lot of miles, but it's a project car. And you're going to keep it running anyway. So it's almost kind of like, who cares? I, I'm with you. I like Wranglers. I, yeah, the K5 Blazer is appealing just because everything will fit, as you said, over the 40-year span yeah. of you know GM building that thing. or It's, it's Legos. Parts. Yeah, it's, it's go have fun. Yeah, uh-huh. It'll bolt right on. But the Wrangler community just seems, I, I don't know, it just seems to be the most appealing. And there is a community. I mean, from the Moab Easter Jeep Safari all the way to mm-hmm. different off-road events. And the support for those cars, for those trucks, is huge, massive, massive community. And so I like that. That's my top choice. But I did want to give you some others that I think would uh, just kind of get you thinking. If you don't want that, if you, don't, if you want something more unique and less, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, less common. Yeah. Did you, did you remember the International Harvester Scout? Remember I wondered thing? if you'd go there. I wondered if you'd go there. Yeah. This was built from 1961 to 1980. And I just always mm-hmm. dug the boxy, squarey truckness. I just always dug these things. They're and you cool. don't see them around. They're in, cool. In nice yep. shape, you don't see them around. And mm-hmm. I'm just wondering. I, I don't know the community. I don't know the parts availability. I don't know what you could do. But 
different, totally different, and could, I be, had a, could be a choice. I had a good friend, my, one of my best friends growing up. His dad had one from the 50s. No and kidding. And we used to laugh writing in that because it had springs but no dampers. Oh my I gosh! Mean, that's, that's the way the that's the way the car was designed, and so as a result, I mean, it was so off road focused. It had springs but no dampers, and so what was hysterical about the shock setup is that the only actual like damper in the car was under the driver's seat, like you would normally find in an eighteen wheeler now. <laughs> so his dad would drive us places and be perfectly just bouncing, perfectly damped, and we're sitting in the back bench bouncing around. No matter what he did, we were just driving around through a city. It was Houston, you know, so it was just not like we were off road anywhere. And we just used to laugh because he would just hover above the world because his seat was taking all of it, and we're getting thundered everywhere. And that was an old, old scout. Oh, but he funny. had kind of a constant fight to keep it running. I knew a guy here in Salt Lake that had one. He had actually a couple, and those seemed to end up being they were like trading parts cars. Oh, this one's running right now. Oh, that broke. I'll get it off the other one, and then the other one would break. I mean, it was just. Oh my gosh. I have not heard great reliability things about those, but they are incredibly cool. And you're right, they're very unique. I think that both the Blazer and the Bronco are going to have a lot more reliable and, and easy access parts than that Scout, but the Scout would be very cool. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of unique, a couple more for you that I thought of. These are random, I admit, but my brain got going on the Ford Ranchero and the El Camino. I mean, you could pick these up for super <laughs> oh, cheap. No. And they're they're oh, different. No. They're unique. You see a the Ranchero more than the El Camino, as a matter of fact. Just wow! Oh yeah, Ford made that. That's right. You know, just totally different. <laughs> or oh yeah, Ford made that. Thankfully, they stopped. I mean, I, <laughs> True, what, what it, I what it I could feel definitely like you're be in doing. That category. It could definitely. What, what be. I feel like you're doing to poor Ryan though is he's winding up with an El Camino on a lift kit, which is <laughs> never good news. <laughs> that El just Cat feels engine. like that's where we are. We've got the El Camino on a lift kit with the big KC lights, and then it's like, what have I built? What has happened at the garage? What is this thing? <laughs> I, that, all bad. All bad. Whatever you do, Ryan, can you dump a crate motor? Whatever you decide on, can you please put a crate motor in this thing and just make it awesome? Just anyway, that'll, you know, putting your own engine in, that'll teach you a lot of things, I'm sure. But, yeah, uh, brace yourself for all of that fun. But and, I'll, come and I'm gonna go, I'll come back to the I'm gonna also I'm going to also say to you, Ryan, that thing we've said before, and I say it because of everyone we've ever known with a project car, brace yourself for it to cost you more in money and time than you're expecting going in. You may yeah. thoroughly enjoy it. It will no doubt teach you. I hope you have a blast doing it, but just brace yourself. For I wouldn't set yourself any hard, <laughs> hard stops for the amount of money or the amount of time you're spending because you'll probably just end up with a car that gets trailered off to the next owner. But I am encouraging you to just dive in and learn, and these older cars are going to make that easier. So that's really cool. Plus, you're in L.A. I mean, Wrangler, open top at the beach with a surfboard and babes. Yeah. I mean, bring it. this bring is it. the recipe, Ryan. I mean, Wrangler, right there. So let us know what you think, and... Uh, Hopefully that's helpful. I've never shared. I've never shared the uh, the Wrangler theory that I have on this podcast. I think you I? should share the Wrangler theory. Actually, you've never shared here's, it. Here's here's the Wrangler theory, and I don't. I, I'm not going to claim I came up with this. I feel like I heard this somewhere, but I honestly forget where. And with few exceptions, I feel like this theory always holds true. <laughs> if you see a Wrangler, <laughs> if you see a Wrangler being driven by a woman, this is specifically about women in Wranglers. If you see a Wrangler being driven by a woman, uh. Obviously, as we know, Wranglers, you can keep taking pieces off the car. You could drive with just the windshield on the roll, roll cage if you want. No doors, nothing. It seems to me 
that the more pieces of the car that are removed, the more attractive the girl behind the wheel. And I'm not suggesting that the pieces coming off the car make the girl more attractive. I'm just saying uh, if, if she's very unattractive, that is a Wrangler with every possible piece on it. And if she's incredibly attractive, it's just the windshield and the roll cage. Yeah. Uh, so there's, that seems to be the, the case. And it's actually – I've seen variations on this where it's like there's no top, but the doors are on. She's kind of attractive. <laughs> I've actually hilarious. seen that. I've actually seen that happen. It's the weirdest thing on the planet, you know? That's so I, I test, test the Wrangler theory in your hometown – uh, but uh, that seems to have held pretty true. Granted, living in Los Angeles, that was more easy to test than it was living in Salt Lake, because in Los Angeles, of course, it's kind of nice weather all the time. So you could drive your Jeep with however many parts of the car you decided at any moment. But uh, that's the Wrangler theory. I love it. I love it. All right, Ryan, let us know. Thank you so much for writing in. And if you've got your own car debate, Everyday Driver TV at Gmail or the website, you can go on there. And we're starting to get... As I said before, a lot of listener requests on uh, on the email from uh, or on the website, uh, just people writing in. So mm-hmm. you can communicate with us that way. And uh, yeah, I thought that was kind of cool, just kind of different. We never gotten to you've never gotten to tell the Wrangler theory. I, I love it. That's true. The, the the upside there was I got to tell the Wrangler theory. The downside is that now we will hear from the uh, the Blazer, <laughs> the Bronco, and the Wrangler communities. And next podcast we will apologize. But anyway, uh, <laughs> we should go on to Facebook questions. You guys gave us a lot of them on the last couple of uh, podcast announcements, so we actually didn't ask for new ones this week. We're recording this a bit early for uh, for travel stuff. Uh, and yeah, another reminder, this Friday we will not have a podcast. We will be back the following week with two as normal, and hopefully even to the week we are in Germany. So uh, we're looking forward to doing all of that. I picked out a couple. Uh, our friend uh, Richard Durham from uh, from England, he's been with us a long time, listening for a long time. Thank you, Richard, for listening. And uh, I know you wanted to join us on Pilgrimage this year. Hopefully in a year to come you will join us. Uh, I know that was something you were trying to work out. It didn't work out this year. Totally get it. But you wrote in and said, okay, you did the either-or question, which we love, the would-you-rather question. You said, would you rather a do-everything car or the beat-around, as you describe it, the banger car and also a dedicated fun car? Which? The car that does it all or the car that is a utility car followed by the focus car? Which scenario is preferable? Hmm. This is an interesting question because I think it depends on where you live. And I'm thinking about my hmm. time living in L.A. I might have leaned more towards the fun do-everything. Because of the weather, it's great all the time. In February, it's sure. 70 degrees. You can go, you know, fun mountain roads. You can go track driving. You can take it to the mm-hmm. store. But now, living in a winter climate, I'm leaning more towards the beat-up car and a dedicated fun car that is the special occasion for the, when the weather's nice. I, I, yeah. I don't know why. I guess it's just a weather thing. And, you know, the Midwest, a lot of people do that. You know, I know mm-hmm. guys in Detroit doing that very thing, the Camaros and Corvettes definitely sit in the garage they make their appearance during the woodward dream cruise of course but no you know what i mean they're just (laughs) tucked away and they drive the you know they might work in the auto industry and they just get the a plan pricing on a beat up whatever and it's a jetta Mm -hmm. or a focus or a whatever and they're doing that and so now living in more of the snowy climate i'm leaning towards the dedicated fun car because it's like the anticipation it's like having a vacation or a trip to look forward to. You're just sure, anticipating that. that. You walk into the garage every day and you go, oh, yes, I can't wait to you know, do blank. You plan a trip or a track day or whatever that is. 
So yeah, I'm leaning yeah, towards yeah. the the banger and uh, a dedicated fun car to your question here. Well, so. I'm I'm uh, I, I like this question, question, Richard, and I agree with Paul's kind of life changes and you keep looking at this differently. And I I was very much of the demeanor in L.A. Let's I'm only going to be able to afford one car. Let's have it. I think the the secondary question here is though, do you have the money and the space to have more than one car? That is the first true, problem true. of this rabbit trail. Uh, but I am also going to use it as a ski analogy. One of the, the cool things about skiing, if you can do it, or climbing or whatever, is the right tool for the job. You know, mm. you can have one pair of skis that's great for everything. But if you can have a pair, I don't, by the way, but if you can have a pair that's just my powder skis or just my ice spring skiing, there's a lot of rock skis. Oh, and these are my skis for all mountain, whatever. If you can do that, you're going to have more fun on each of those days. Because you're not, you know, you're not using your nice skis on a day that's really rocky, vice versa. So I'm going to leave the analogy now and say I would rather do the two-car scenario. But being the guy that I am, the beat-up car would essentially just be a car that is still a fun car that I'm not worried about and I got it cheap. It, wouldn't be, it would never be the buy-the-rusted-out Corolla. I'd still find something that was still a fun car that was inexpensive, and now I don't have to be precious about it. Oh, look, it got dented by a mountain bike. Oh, it got muddy this week. Oh, the snow is terrible outside. Sure, I don't care. Sure, yeah. But I still like being in it. But then that allows me to have a very focused, special car that is designed for just one thing, and that is to go out and be driven, enjoyed, and driven hard. It can be kept more precious. It doesn't have to worry about, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? Whatever. I'm just going to go drive it. I prefer the two-car scenario if I can check those boxes. I kind of feel like the Sabaru was that car in your life had you gotten into something like a Lotus Elise. I bet you you would have hung on to the Sabaru and just Mm -hmm. kept – it's the beater. It's the winter commuter. I don't care whatever happens to it fine and it was but you've got genuinely fun to drive or yeah. whatever yeah, else yeah. i kind of felt like that totally would agree. have been your sweet spot if uh, i think if i if i think if i financially could have swung to keep the uh, the sabaru and get something like a lotus if i could have made a jump like that at the time i got the frs i think i would have done so but it just wasn't a financial reality but i i would have loved to because that the sob was i mean it wasn't worth much and it still ran pretty well it needed some work put into it but of course it did i mean i sold it for 6 grand it needed some work i that's just i mean i had almost 200,000 miles yeah. and it was still fun to drive yeah. so yeah I, I i totally agree with you it would have been that kind of thing cuz that car would have been perfect as a ah well look that's dirty okay whatever you whatever know. you know uh, still fun yeah dog gets in it muddy feet whatever who cares right well, that, right. that Sabru had the, that parchment-colored uh, interior that, oh, yeah, I that swear to you, it's just, it was impossible to keep clean. So at some point, you just, as an owner, you just throw up your hands and just go, guess what? The seats are dirty. Deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, there's no, I keep sending me products. They will keep not, not staying ahead of the problem. So yeah, it was just ridiculous. Michael George Newson asks us, what are some of your personal bad driving habits? And... Uh, <laughs> I've been thinking about this question here, Michael. (laughs) The way you phrase the question indicates that you feel like we have more than one. What the heck? (laughs) What are some of your long laundry list of bad driving habits? What do you mean? What are you You talking about? You guys are terrible behind the wheel. Would you mind sharing the things you've actually realized? Yeah. Yeah, That's funny. So I'm I'm about to admit a couple of things that I do. You might think, oh, as uh, journalists and – Drivers, we never do anything wrong. That isn't the case, so oh, I will hardly. admit two of them to you. The first one is uh, it's speeding. It's not well, something yeah. I'm about to elaborate on, but guess what's parked in the garage? <laughs> so yeah. I think you can put all that together. 
I, uh, funny enough though, after moving to Utah and owning the Jeep, I actually slowed down quite a bit because I felt like I'm in a, a big lumbering you SUV did. and I just, whatever, it's just cruise along mode. Yeah, but now having a really fast car back in my life, it's, <laughs> I, it's speeding. And I admit it, I'm not going to elaborate more on that. But uh, Well, but also, it was interesting to watch you specifically, because when we go back to L.A., the reverse happens. When you got into a scenario where you had less traffic, you got less aggressive. And you yeah. got just slower and more casual about it. Very and true. And this, this environment doesn't have as much traffic. Now, if you drop into Los Angeles, uh, as it, it, it almost sometimes feels like we're parachuting into Los Angeles when we come in to do a shoot. When we, when we drop into Los Angeles, we wind up in a press car. Paul is instantly back into, I know how to drive in L.A., and I'm an aggressive shark. And it works very well. He can commute massively fast <laughs> wow. across Los Angeles. But at the same time... But And I do, too. I, I, look, I'm not just picking on Paul here. I have an L.A. driving setting that somehow clicks in my brain. When you hit that traffic, you can pull out of LAX, and you go, oh, that's right, we're doing this. So, uh, yeah, it's a very different demeanor. <laughs> we're doing this, um, Oh, yeah. And, I, and I will say that speaks to this. I found when I moved to Utah, I tailgated too much. And I have, yeah. I have backed off from that. And what I realized is it's the difference in people's tolerance levels and I, I'm not blaming anybody else. I'm just saying in L.A., the person in front of you kind of expects you to be tied to their bumper. <laughs> it's like, oh, uh, I've got a backpack on. Fine. Who exactly. Cares? Utah's not ready for that. And then Utah has that terrible thing we've talked about before that is my all-time least favorite driving weird thing that people do. And I never saw it in L.A., but I do see it in Utah. And that is the brake check maneuver, which oh, yeah. topping the list oh. of things I hate that are dangerous. But people here are known to do that. Now, I've never actually had that happen to me when I was tailgating, thankfully. But that one of the reasons that I started backing off was I realized I'm the only one driving at this distance. And that was totally programming from Los Angeles. And I backed off quite a bit as mm -hmm. a result of that. Yeah. Um, and Because it was just a, my, my level of tolerance for spacing. Plus, with the way you and I shoot, we get cars very close to each other when we shoot anyway. <laughs> yeah, when people ride with so us, they're you discarding have, we, unused upholstery out of the car. Yeah. We have a we have incredibly tight tolerance for how close cars could be, and we're okay with it. So I've had to really be careful on that and to kind of consciously think about, no, 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 no. I'm just going to give everybody more space. That's certainly something that's been bad for me. Yeah, and picking up with that thread, it's uh, – I just – I'm going to go into this thing about the left lane camping. Oh, it's awful. It's awful. It's, it's even worse, I feel like, in Utah. People just oblivious it is. It to is, yeah. camping out in the left lane. And this is the passing lane, people, still everywhere. It's the passing lane. Well, but I'm going to go you one further. <sighs> I think in L.A., I think in L.A., the problem is obliviousness. I think in Utah, it's pride. I, I think, think, think so? there's a thing in the U.S. I do. I think there's a thing in the U.S., uh, something about U.S. drivers where we believe, and, and this is not just Utah. I think in general it exists. I just think in L.A. people are more oblivious. They're just doing whatever. They're in a bubble, and that's why they wind up in the left lane not realizing there's people behind them because they don't actually realize there's people behind them. I think in Utah and Texas and other states that I've driven where people hang out in the left lane, I've seen it in Colorado and lots of other places, I think it's people are driving and they're in the left lane and we've been programmed, not that the left lane is for passing. We've been told in driver's ed even, the left lane is the fast lane. Yeah. So as drivers, oh, I'm yeah. going I'm going fast and I, I, I believe I'm going fast. So if I, I'm going fast enough and I belong in the fast lane, the speed limit is 55, I'm going 56 that is plenty fast enough. I'm in the fast lane. And it's this prideful thing. of I'm just going to keep everybody behind me. There's no reason for you to have to go any faster than me. You need to go around me. 
which is this weird, prideful thing. And I'll be perfectly honest. I'm a fast driver. But if I see somebody coming up behind me, I get over. If yeah. you're the big dog and you want to go 5 miles an hour, 10 miles an hour faster than me, you know what? Have at it. Because I'm generally not – I'm generally going quick anyway. So if you want to go faster still, it's yours, man. Take it. Agreed. Agreed. So, Michael, my bad habit with the campers, the left lane campers, is to show them my headlight in their side mirror. So, therefore, I'm on the line all the way over just <laughs> oh, camped no. out going, could no, you please, no, could no. you just, could you get, could you come on, please let me by. I just want to get by. I, there's nothing else that I want to do but just pass you. Could you please pull over? I'm hoping that's the message, but it never comes across that way. And that's a bad habit of mine. I admit it. And yeah. I just, I'm trying to make you see me, but to your point, <laughs> I think they do. And they're going, <laughs> I'll show this turkey. You know. I think I think a lot of the time it's people's even if they aren't purposely trying to keep people behind them it's people's belief I'm driving fast I belong in the fast lane yeah which yeah. is poor driver it's poor driver training frankly the driver training should be if you're over there it's because you are passing those around you and if you're not yeah. passing those around you get out of that lane that should be how we're taught and we're not and that's too bad and Tom is informed of that in Germany he's informed us Hey, don't hang out because our habits are instantly recognizable to him because mm -hmm. everybody does not hang out in the fast lane. They use it and then they get out of it. They get back over because there is always somebody faster than you, especially mm -hmm. in Germany. I mean, I well, guarantee you. Well, the other you. thing that you and I had to really think about in driving in Germany because it's programmed into us because of people that sit in the left lane in the U.S., you and I and I mean everybody that drives – we're okay with passing on the right. If that person yeah. camps out long oh, enough, yeah. what do you do? You pass them on the right. Not in Germany, you don't. There is no passing on the right, period. doesn't happen. Yep. So I remember there were many times where I intellectually, I, I didn't ever pass anybody on the right in Germany driving on the roads. Um, and I, But I remember at a couple of times while driving in the left lane and I realized my instinct was, oh, I'm just going to go around this person. And then there were voices in the back of my head. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're in the left lane. They get it. They will pull right. Mm -hmm. Stay yeah. right here. Yeah. It's going to be fine. They will pull over. But I would just get up behind somebody and go, oh, well, I could just go around. No, I'm not. No, I'm not doing that. I'm staying right here, which is different driving instruction again. So, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I wanted to speak to Jonathan Brown's uh, uh, question that he asked. He made a comment where he said he's seeing testing about the, uh, the Grand Sport Corvette at VIR uh, running with uh, 911 GT3s and McLarens and these kind of things. And he's saying, okay, so clearly this is a very quick car. What I liked, though, Jonathan, was the second part of your question. You said, this is not a rear or a mid-engine car. If this car is this good, because, of course, the rumors continue that there will be a mid-engine Corvette. So his comment is, if this car is this good with a front-engine traditional layout that Corvettes have always had, why change it? Is it even necessary? That's the part of this question I really like, Jonathan. I'm intrigued by this, too. Yeah, I've got I, thoughts. <laughs> I'll tell you the first thing about this for me, Jonathan. The Corvette has a perception problem. It just does. The C7 is a fantastic vehicle. There is, there is actually nothing you can take away from the C7. It's just a fantastic vehicle, full stop, we're done, period. That's the whole argument. But the problem that the Corvette has is it, just, it has the same kind of perception problem that the Miata does. Nobody out there that has actually driven a Miata hard is going to say to you that is a bad driver's car. Not true great driver's car, good track car, go get a Miata. But yet its perception is, well, that's a terrible car. Nobody really likes driving or knows anything about cars drives that. You clearly, sir, haven't driven one. 
over here you have the Corvette. Oh, that's not a real sports car. Yes, it is. I will submit this to you. The Corvette needs to go mid-engine because it's the only way it's going to seem exotic. It, uh, it just it hangs out in this perception of that is old muscle car technology and it hasn't really come to play. If it wound up mid-engined, it would now seem exotic enough that if the, if, even if the performance that they have in the current C7 didn't change at all and that car was mid-engined, I submit to you that people would now take it more seriously perception-wise, not reality. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more, as a matter of fact. I am super intrigued by this question, and the designer in me says, well, <coughs> think about the generations C8 or C9. What are they going to look like? If we continue along with the same recipe and the mm -hmm. same packaging, mm -hmm. what is the styling going to look like? Oh, well, it got softer. Oh, it got a little sharper. Oh, we put a little different <laughs> detail here. Oh, well, we changed to octagonal headlights this time or, or yeah, rear taillights. Yeah, can't revolutionize or, too far. You're right. Yeah, uh, yeah. How many more iterations of this recipe are we going to see that are going to mm -hmm. make it seem different and then tying into your comment about, wow, that's an exotic because what car can you name me from GM competes against Ford's GT, their brand new GT? That is the yeah, Halo. Nothing. That nothing. is a yeah. hyper car. It's not a super yeah, car. Yeah, it is. You're it's in the right. stratosphere right. now. Mm -hmm. So what You're from GM right. are they building that competes like that? And they still mm -hmm. have the Mustang. You can still do that. But Chevy yeah. has the Camaro. So the Corvette needs to get really exotic, and it needs to do it soon. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's a world-class platform. It has proved that time and again in the Le Mans series racing. Yeah, it's a yeah. fantastic car. But let's really take it to the next level. And I bet GM can do it. They've got the talent. They've got the wherewithal. They could do yeah. this and turn the Corvette into something, wow, really desirable instead of, hey, a Corvette, I wonder how old the driver is in that car. Yep, sure enough. And that's the perception. Well, but you, you brought up another point. I hadn't even thought about it. The fact it, – it's not even just the fact that that Ford has that GT. It's the fact that the GT has gone so stratospheric in price and in just yep. exoticness, if you will. It's got – it's given itself space from the Mustang. <laughs> Yep. Whereas the Corvette is starting to get overlapped by their own uh, sibling, the Camaro. Correct. So the answer yes. in that regard is we got to push the vet higher to get it away uh, and to make it exotic. I think that's an interesting point. Years. I really like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always been rumors. Every generation, it's, oh, I wonder if it's mid-engine. They need to go ahead and do that because, listen, the next gen, the, the slight updates to the C7, yawn. It's a great car. We like it. But yawn, what's it going to look like? Yeah, More well, it's it's a fantastic same. car. It's unfortunately the C7, which honestly is one of those cars in my personal best list. It's a great car. I it love is. the C7. It is. the The problem is, it's a car that I'm standing in a bar now explaining why I own a C7. The same way I'm explaining why I own a Miata, mm -hmm. because I know how good it is, and the person I'm talking to that doesn't know cars as well thinks I'm an idiot. You end up in that conversation. Sure. The, you don't end up in that conversation in the GT350 Mustang. You don't. I mean, it, somebody looks at that thing and goes, that looks like a pretty cool Mustang. And they don't even know Mustangs. I mean, so the, the Corvette has this problem. And that's too bad because it is such a world beater, especially at the price point. And that's the other problem is that the Corvette continues. The, the argument keeps being, yeah, but look at how much cheaper it is than all the stuff it beats. It's the same okay. problem Nissan has with their GTR. It'll never get invited to the Ferrari party. Ever. Yeah. Fair it's point. it's Fair a point. world class machine that has proven itself time and again. 
It's mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. title holder of the world's fastest car, the most horsepower, two million horsepower, whatever it's got now. <laughs> okay. It's, I take your point. It doesn't look exotic anymore. And yes, many enthusiasts can afford it. But when you throw that up against the latest from Porsche, McLaren, Ferrari, it's at the back of the pack just in terms of appeal. Not to yeah, mention the prestige style, and the perception of it, and that's the, the problem that the Corvette struggles under. And I like that question a lot, Jonathan. It got us, yeah, it it got us uh, really pondering it. And I I would love to see that mid-engine Corvette. And I'd lo- I know this sounds crazy. I'd love to see the hundred and fifty two hundred thousand dollar mid-engine Corvette. Get it, so get it away from the Camaro. It is a whole new animal, and have it have if it had this exact same performance. How awesome would that be? Because the C7 is great. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. And, uh, yeah, GM, you say you can do good interiors. Prove it. Let's really see amazing interiors on your quarter-million-dollar hypercar Corvette, whatever it is. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, the C7 is a vast improvement, but if you're going to charge that much, you gotta you got to come to play. That's yep. very interesting. Yep. Thanks for that, Jonathan. Do you have any other Facebook questions, or you want to wrap it up? Real quick, Spencer Hall is asking if we have any interest reviewing the Jaguar F-Pace, and yes, that is an affirmative. Mm-hmm. Absolutely we do. As a matter of fact, I've considered about, uh, you know, could that be a replacement for the Grand Cherokee? I'm just, just wondering. Yes, I know. I know you have. You keep talking about that. Yep. Just wondering. Starting to see him around. I have a lot of interest, as a matter of fact, and this winter we have actually talked more about our press fleet contacts about doing more winter driving stuff with some SUVs, light SUVs. It's not something we've traditionally really gotten much into. And the Mm -hmm. buying requirements certainly are different, but we do have a lot of good snowy climate here. We've got ski areas. We've got a lot of cool shooting areas. And uh, a lot of car manufacturers, Porsche included, are talking about doing more winter focused Mm -hmm. driving activities. I mean, It seems like every manufacturer is going after the SUV market. We mentioned on the last podcast, Alfa Romeo is ditching the spider in favor of SUVs, SUVs. So it grows. It continues to grow. So we want to start getting a little bit more into that, acknowledging them more, trying them out a little bit more, and expanding our own repertoire because they do have a place in our lives. So, yeah, we do have a lot of interest in the Jaguar F-Pace, and uh, hopefully that's forthcoming. But we want to definitely get it. I will the, happily, happily bounce around in the snow in a press car. That sounds like a good afternoon right there for sure. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. All right. Well, we'll wrap things up there, guys. Uh, huge thanks. We are so thrilled to have you with us as we keep saying, but you know what? We mean it. And it's only you that does the rating and reviewing to push us into the top 10 it's or amazing. top 5 all yep. the time, consistently. Yep. We have, we have doubled our audience size in this calendar year, guys, and that's entirely due to you guys rating and sharing and reviewing, and that gets us up in that top five, and uh, we love having you with us, so thank you. Again, no podcast this Friday, but two again next week. If any major car news happens this week, uh, oops, uh, we are recording this a little bit before Tuesday, so we, if any big car news happens, we promise to cover it with you uh, next time and keep those Facebook questions coming. We'll keep letting you know when to post those. And, of course, car debates are everydaydrivertv at gmail, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.